Welcome in to Five Game Sweep, a Detroit sports podcast for the very first time. So good to be here. I'm your host, Anthony Broom. Some of you guys may know me from SB Nation's Maze and Brew, the Michigan Wolverines fan site, blog, whatever you want to call it. Some of you may know me from being a family member or friend who's simply throwing me a pity listen and making me feel good about myself, stroking my ego, what have you. I'm happy to be here. I'm really pumped to be here. We'll talk about the genesis of this project and a little bit about myself here in a second, but I just wanted to open up by saying if you're someone who right from the jump here is giving this a shot, I appreciate you. This is anyone who follows me on social media or has a conversation with me knows that don't get me wrong. I love my job. I love what I do full time with the Michigan stuff, the full time Wolverines coverage, basketball, football, what have you. But I'm a Detroit sports fan. And I won't say first and foremost because career and financial stability have always come first. But this is an itch I've wanted to scratch for a really long time. And you poke around for different opportunities. You ask people about maybe kind of wiggling your way into helping out with their projects, getting on board with some other type of stuff. And eventually it just kind of became a why not just do it myself? And like I said in the teaser, if you guys listen to that, I don't care if five people listen to this. I don't care if 500. Well, I do care. The more people that listen, the better. But whether it's five people or 500 people, this is something I'm really excited to do. And will there be a co-host at some point? Maybe. For now, it's just going to kind of be me. And we will have guests coming on. Really excited about our first guest today, Chris Castellani, good friend of mine. Formerly of Mason Brew, now with Barstool Sports. Mr. Big Time. That's right. We came out of the gate swinging for our guest for this first episode. And we'll talk Detroit Tigers. I have some scenarios in play for the offseason. We'll talk Miguel Cabrera's 500th home run. All those types of things. It's going to be a pretty lengthy interview. So I hope you'll stick around for that. But yeah, just a little bit about myself. You guys, I mean, you guys that are here know who I am. I've been doing the Michigan stuff. We're heading into football season number seven at the helm of that site and year eight of me being involved with Maze and Brew in general. Uh, the one thing I will say, and we're going to talk all pro sports in Detroit on here. We'll be talking the Lions. We'll talk Pistons. We'll talk Red Wings. We'll talk Tigers. The one thing I can say we won't be doing here, we will not talk college sports. Not only because it's kind of in conflict with what my full-time work is. If you want to hear Michigan stuff, Michigan State stuff, whatever it is, Please go subscribe to the Maze and Brew podcast. Follow the website at Maze and Brew. You're going to get a lot more out of that than this. I'm just not really even going to go down that road here. This is Detroit sports. I'm a fan of Detroit sports. I live 15 minutes outside the city. It's been a part of my, you know, we like to joke that you know the people on social media that share memes or people on dating apps, it's always about the office. You're like, oh, you like the office, but it's not a personality trait. Uh, sports are... Detroit sports is is woven into the fabric of what my personality is. And it's more than just rooting for a team. Sports, and namely pro sports, because those are, you know, talking about Michigan and Michigan State, what can those two fan bases bond over? It's that, hey, in the summers, we're high-fiving each other at Tiger Games. Or on Sundays, we're drowning our sorrows in in booze and food at Ford Field for Lions games. You know, we love the Pistons. You know, Michigan basketball, Michigan State basketball fans, that's one thing that they can mostly agree on. 
So pro sports brings communities together, especially when the teams are good. And make no mistake about it, our teams are pretty bad right now. But it feels like with with all four of these teams, we are on the precipice of an explosion, a renaissance, if you will, of our teams being successful with some young stars coming coming up through the wings. I mean, none, none more bigger than what the Tigers have with guys like Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Pistons, Cade Cunningham is hasn't even played an official basketball game yet outside of summer league and it's already arguably the face of Detroit sports. So there's a lot, you know, Steve Eiserman is, is putting that together the wings. The lions are, well, lions are doing what they do. They start afresh every three or four years, but it just feels like there's, there's an air of freshness an air of optimism with all of the teams. And I, I want to be on the ground floor of that. And I want to talk about it. And this might be a little better outlet for that because People who follow the Twitter feeds or whatever, they're just maybe looking for the Michigan stuff. And this tweet about you know, what Ryan Kreidler is doing in AAA is, has a very limited audience. What I think about the Red Wings prospects probably has somewhat of a limited audience when it comes to, I mean, what it's called spade a spade, what people kind of follow me for. So I'm not shying away from that, but I'm, I'm, cha- I'm channeling that energy into this new project. So... That's kind of what this will be in a nutshell. Again, we're going to do the guest thing. Chris Castellani will join me in just a moment. But I'm excited. It's I don't know what this is going to be. I don't plan on It's a free project. You guys you can you can listen to it or don't. I hope that if you do, you leave a five-star review. You can follow this on Twitter at 5 Game Sweep. We've got the link tree stuff too. I mean, we're this is going to be wherever your podcasts are. Apple, Google, Spotify. I'm not sure about Stitcher yet, but those are the big three. I'm pretty sure 75% of podcast listeners are listening from Apple anyway. So that's what we're planning on doing here. So that's enough rambling about what I see this show being. I want to start really quick before we get into the Chris Castellani interview. The Lions in the preseason, the Detroit Lions, they are 0-2 so far. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched the games in depth. I've gone through and seen some film on guys. Let's... There's only one thing that I've been able to take away from what I've seen, not only in box scores, but in, you know, we have, God, we have such good Lions coverage in this town, whether it's Pride of Detroit or the athletic guys, or it's just, it's the best, the newspaper guys, news, free press. I just feel like we have the best, and this isn't comparing and tearing anyone else down. That beat is the best beat in our town right now. So there's a lot of great coverage. So I feel like I've, listening to podcasts and doing the reading. I know what I need to know from these games so far. And I think my biggest takeaway with the Lions to this point is that this is going to be a very bad football team. I don't think, and there's people who say, oh, you know, Jared Goff was in a Super Bowl, you know, and TJ Hawkinson's a Pro Bowl or DeAndre Swift shows some things. Maybe, uh, maybe there might be something there offensively or the defense was so bad last year that it can only go up from here. This is a bad football team with a lot of holes. And, I just don't, based on the training camp reports and what has happened in these preseason games so far, I just don't see how on either side of the ball they are anything more than bottom third in the league in any category. I don't think I think Jared Goff is broken. I don't think they have the wide receivers for him to kind of fix the deep ball, the accuracy problems. 
The offensive line, th- those guys are still young. I mean, Penny Sewell didn't play football last year. So he's there are going to be times where don't be surprised if he has a rookie season where people are kind of wondering after year one, somewhat similar to Jeff Okuda, if this dude was a bust or not. Now, Jeff Okuda, that's different. That's cornerback. That was a bad pick no matter what way you slice it. Hopefully he can be a legitimate NFL starting corner because last year he wasn't. Penny Sewell is going to be a pretty good player, but he's going to struggle this year. Jonah Jackson, it doesn't sound like he's had a very good camp. Um, Vitae, who's going to play right guard, is not a good football player. So the pieces are there. Like that, that offense is going to kind of go as the offensive line does. But even if the offensive line does play well, I'm just not crazy about what they have there. So I'm not expecting some offensive renaissance. I mean, Jared Goff, you don't go to a team that's worse in every single way, and suddenly the switch gets flipped and he becomes what Drew Brees was to the New Orleans Saints. I just don't see that. Defensively, it's going to be rough. I think the defensive line is good. I think you feel you got to feel pretty good about what they have in the trenches on both sides of the ball. But linebacker, outside of Derek Barnes, not crazy about what I've seen there, but even he's a rookie. Haven't seen a lot of him play with the ones yet. On the back end, they could either be very good or very bad. It's a lot of volatility there, depending on how guys like Jeff Okuda, how Amani Aruari play, Tracy Walker. It's I just don't I just don't see it. I think they have the right leadership in place. Dan Campbell put a great staff together. I don't know about him yet. I know people were questioning the clock management thing, but to me, that's sports talk radio fodder. I'm not too worried about that right now. Brad Holmes, I think. I think the biggest thing you look for is who's going to be because this is this is going to be a bad team. They will win probably three to five games. What you're looking for is who's going to be a day one starter this year. So, and a lot of that for me kind of goes back to the draft class too. Is Penny Sewell going to be a starter this year or next year? Absolutely. Levi Onzurike. I'm still working on that one. Haven't seen a ton of him in the preseason, but that guy looks like he's got something to bring to the table. Uh, Alim McNeil, I think, is probably going to wind up being the better NFL player of the two guys at defensive tackle. I love what he brings to the table. Uh, Ifadu Melifanwu. It's going to take some time for him, but it looks like there's a role for him because I just don't... He's going to have to play because they're just not... They're not deep there at all in the secondary. Uh, Amonra St. Brown, he's one of your top three wide receivers already. He's going to be a slot guy. He might be a Danny Amendola type of guy. That might be what his ceiling type tops out at. But that's one of your best three guys at wide receiver, which is good for him, but also speaks to the quality of the room so far. I mean, when you have a top three grouping, that's, I assume, Tyrell Williams, Khalif Raymond has been good in camp, and then Amonra St. Brown. I... I, yikes, is all I have to say there. Derek Barnes, uh, another guy who, again, might wind up being the most impactful player this year because everything I've seen from him in these first two preseason games is just a dude that is all over the field. He's rushing the passer. He's filling run or he's filling gaps in the run game. He's dropping into coverage. He's he's doing a little bit of everything, and, and I like what I've seen there. He's got the requisite athletic traits to be a guy who, who plays pretty well for them. So hoping that he can be a guy that shows he should be in the lineup on day one next year. So uh, Jamar Jefferson at running back, not crazy about him. Um, even the RIS scores aren't, weren't super sexy, 
But seventh round pick at running back, I'm not really going to get bent out of shape about that. So we'll do kind of a more full Lions preview as the season gets a little closer. But like I said, I haven't seen anything from this team to suggest that there's some kind of magic to be. They're going to be worse than last year. And that might frustrate some people. But again, not to bring back a Michigan football comparison, but it's all the secret is in what it looks like. If you go five and 12, but you're competitive in every game and your young guys look better every week, that's fine. But if you're four and 13 and everyone looks listless and there's disarray and disorganization everywhere, I we'll see what happens. I'm not sold on Dan Campbell yet. I like the staff. I like the assistants, honestly, at almost every single position. It's just a matter of who comes along and, and who's going to be a guy that proves they need to be here next year. So we'll see. We're going to do a, clo- a bigger preview on that probably next week, but more likely the week after. But let's just, let's put the lines in the rearview mirror for now. It's time to move on to my conversation with Chris Castellani of Barstool Sports. We're going to talk Miggy's 500th home run. We're going to talk scenarios for how the Tigers should spend the money that they have available to them this offseason. State of the franchise, Chris Illich stuff, and way, way more with Chris. So let's head to that now. Okay, and very proud to welcome, as the first guest of this new little podcast adventure, and, and honestly, who else could it have been, given what was in store for the weekend and my personal podcast history, and just to, I said at the beginning, this project is going to be me talking to my friends about the teams I like. So I have a friend here. Uh, you know him formerly of the Mason Brew podcast. Now he is a rising star, and I mean rapidly rising star uh, with Barstool Sports. Friend of the show, friend of me, friend, uh, friend to all people in the state of Michigan. Chris Castellani is here. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, it's just like old times. It's like riding a bike again with me and you doing the doing these pods. So I'm looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, it's we're missing Luke here, obviously. Luke Giardi, yeah. our our Mason Brew cohort. And the last, I think the last time me and you were on a podcast was when we did the uh was it the Star Wars commentary tracks? That That's right. Yeah, I was thinking it was the final Mason Brew, but that was which by the way, some of my favorite things we we ever did. I love those. I thought they were great. So yeah, that was uh now we're back at it again. Yeah. You're good. Well, I mean, keep us I know you're you're not someone who likes to talk a ton about yourself, but since last we spoke, and I know we we've spoken privately and as friends and stuff, but the people know what's going on with you. But how have the last how's the summer gone for you? I know it's been pretty overwhelming. Very. I mean, I've been busy. I bet like it's been um it's been such a strange time because like there were those times out of college where like I there really is such time, such thing as having too much time on your hands. And, and like, you know, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. waking up, you're waking up at noon, you're going to bed at 3 AM. And now it's like, there's, there's a level of exha- of exhaustion that's set in for sure over the last several weeks. But I mean, it's, it's tough to complain. You know, they're, they're good problems to have um, going back and forth uh, to Detroit a lot, going to tiger games um, and just and working, writing, work, contributing, going to New York, you know, contributing stuff for Barstool. So um, it's been uh, it's been a much different ride than I've been used to. And at some point, I'll, I'll, I'll adjust to it. Uh, I don't know if we're there yet. Maybe uh, probably once I feel like once baseball season ends, um, things will, things will cool down uh, a little bit. But it's been it's been, you know, foot on the gas for the last couple of months for sure. Yeah. And, and you're you're killing it. So, you know, that I don't need to. 
to stroke your ego that much here, but there's a reason you're here. Uh, this is a very different than podcasts have done in the past. This is an all Detroit sports podcast. And, and given what your background is and given, and we didn't plan it this way. We kind of had talked about you coming on a week or so ago. I was hoping that Miguel Cabrera would have hit his 500 home run, uh, home run well in advance of this. But as it turns out, a couple hours before we hop on, it finally happens in Toronto. Tigers kind of had of a flair for these history-making performances. Uh, Justin Verlander's second no-hitter was in Toronto. Now Miguel Cabrera uh, gets the curtain call. Home run number 500, and I know you've written about it. You did a video about it. Mm-hmm. I guess now that we're a couple hours removed from that, put that into perspective for me for what, what that means and – yeah, it, it happened. It, it's it's yeah, over. Well, you, you could tell he was pressing. So I'm really glad yeah. it just happened. I'll say this. And, and I feel like my take on it is a little bit different than a lot of other people's. Um, it, it does not hit me the way that some other moments in Tiger's history have impacted me. Um, like Spencer Turnbull's no hitter. Well, yes, that's, that's one that stands <laughs> out. I guess part of it to me, and I said this in my, my post game video, I knew in like 2008, Miguel Cabrera was going to get to 500. It was just a matter of time. So, I mean, these, you know, the 37 plate appearances that it took for him to get there, um, it was just the ultimate waiting game. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a a pennant chase or or a no-hitter or a perfect game where you don't know how it's going to end. Um, I I knew at some point Miggy was going to get to 500. I did not think he was going to retire on 499. Um, I'm very happy for the fans because I do think that, Uh, This team, weirdly, and and we'll get into it probably a little bit more here in a second. um, They've had a lot of like random blips that have gotten people like kind of back being interested in in the in Tiger baseball again, Uh, whether it be kind of like the ascension of of certain players that have come out of nowhere or the, you know, the 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 young core and the rotation starting to come around. And then, of course, there's this. Um, It was a great moment. I I'm I wish you would have done it at home. But in hindsight, they played so bad on that homestand that um, like I was genuinely worried, like when Tristan McKenzie was throwing a perfect game that like he was going to go deep in an 11, nothing ball game that would have done like nothing for me. So the fact that he did it, he did it in a big moment, tying the game, a game they ultimately would go on to win. um, It was impactful and it's awesome. And I do think uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, he goes on a little run here where he hits like three or four more because yeah, that's kind of the player he's been over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, the pressure was on, I think it was the pressure was, I think during the homestand, especially, I think the pressure was on everybody because it was the first time that a lot of these guys had played in full ballparks ever. Uh, so, or at least since they've been with the tigers. So, uh, you know, a wonderful moment for the fan base and look, they've been playing tiger baseball for a long time. This is the first guy to ever hit 500 in tigers uniform. So, I mean, that, that says all you need to know about, uh, how impactful it was for the franchise. Yeah. The nice thing about this too, is that I think because Miguel has struggled. So I can't even say so badly because there are guys who would still take, you know, hitting 246 and, and having 13 home runs at this point of a season, that's yeah. like a career year for a lot of guys. But I think with how Miguel has struggled over the last, you know, really since the injuries and stuff started to pile up and, and these non-contending years, I think what's nice about, this chase and ultimately 3000 hits is that the, the conversation has kind of changed from this guy is an albatross on, on the books. We're kind of just waiting for this guy to retire to where I think now, and maybe part of it has to do with the fact that there are good vibes with the team again, yeah. but it seems like people are coming back around to respecting him in the lineup and, and what his career has been and how much of a unicorn he kind of was. So 
that's been kind of cool to um, see that turnaround there. And as I kind of mentioned before, and this is a good jumping off point into what ultimately is the crux of why you're here. I, I think a lot of these good vibes are because this is a franchise and a team that's on the upswing. And I think what we're seeing right now with them, I think the injuries, the pitching staff are starting to catch up to them. Certainly. I mean, there's guys in the lineup, uh, Eric Haas, Akil Badu, who aren't in there right now. And I think just everything's kind of starting to pile up. So yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if they fade a li- little bit here down the stretch, but I think you probably will agree with this. I think I've kind of seen what I need to see from them this year. Uh, so what I really want to know is, your thoughts is, I mean, we're heading into September now, whatever happens in September, even if it's like what April was for them, I think we kind of know uh, what the takeaways from this year are. So mm-hmm. I guess just kind of your thoughts on the state of the franchise as we head into the twilight of the 2021 season. Yeah. I mean, we're in lockstep here and, and I wrote about it to a, a little bit. I mean, they played an entire summer, essentially playing above 500 baseball and, um, Look, the schedule lined up for them to play some some not-so-good teams. They played a lot of games against the Twins, the Orioles, and the Rangers. Uh, what, even with the – even let's say the injuries don't happen, this upcoming stretch uh, would have worried me anyway because you're playing the Blue Jays and the Brewers and the White Sox and the Rays and, you know, a lot of pretty darn good teams coming up here. Now, with that said, um, I thought they'd hit a wall and they just went into Rogers Center and won two out of three. So, I mean, maybe, maybe they are going to find a way to, to squeak a few out here. But, I mean, in terms of the state of the franchise, I, to me, this team's already overachieved. Uh, my preseason prediction was 70 wins. Uh, I believe they're going to clear that. And, and that was my preseason prediction. But uh, through April, I was thinking this could be a historically bad team. Through April, I was thinking this could be a team that is what they were two years ago, which is a 110 to 120 loss ball club with an offense that can't score runs. Um, I think that I think AJ Hinch has managed his butt off completely. I mean, the entire se- se- season, um, the way that they've tried to manufacture runs, the development of the pitchers, um, they've never gotten too high. They've never gotten too low. I think that there is uh, an excitement and a scrappiness that has come with this team. And I do think that, you know, and we'll get into it here in a second about uh, where, where they go from here. I said in my post-game video, you know, today, I, maybe maybe yesterday by the time people are listening to this, but um, it is remarkable what this coaching staff has been able to do with what is essentially a, a team that on their best day is, on, is an unproven roster and on their worst day is a roster that probably 29 out of 30 GMs would not have taken on opening day. And um, they've played above 500 baseball since May 9th. And to me, that is already, uh, we've seen enough. They, they had a, a relatively good summer. Um, the division is not very good and outside of the white Sox is trending downward. I mean, the, the twins had a good trade deadline, but it'll take them a year or two. Uh, the Royals are, you know, kind of, you know, in, in the phantom zone right now, we're not sure, uh, the, the Indians are trending slash guardians are, are trending downward. So, I mean, it, it lines up well with a good off season, uh, for the tigers to be one of the only teams in the American league central that is ascending. And I think they've shown enough this year to, uh, give people hope that uh, being in the wild card hunt even next year is is something that's that's feasible. Yeah, it's a good point on the lineup. I mean, now that Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green are yeah. in Toledo, there's a lot. You look at these lineups, uh, you know, with I think Badu's been down there doing rehab work and, and some of the other guys they have in the lineup. A lot of these Mudhens lineups I've seen over the last couple of days, you can make the argument that you'd prefer all of those guys on the big, on the big club right now. So mm-hmm. it just speaks to the job that Hinch is doing, but I mean, you, 
you're pretty outspoken about it's time to spend. And I think the fan base is with you there. I don't think there's anyone maybe, and again, this isn't intended to be a shot, but anyone, I don't think there's anyone not named Lynn Henning that doesn't think that this is a team that should spend namely at the shortstop position. Uh, just, just spend in general, you know, this is Detroit's kind of in this spot now where all of all four of those teams are kind of on the up and up. And for a guy like Chris Illich, you can make the argument now. I mean, the argument is made that the the venue across the street, you have the Pistons and the Red Wings and the team you own, isn't the team that people are going to be in little Caesars arena watching next year. Yeah. So I think that the pressure is kind of on a guy, you know, Chris Illich needs to spend money and get, I mean, some of these ballpark atmospheres over the last month or so have been outstanding. So yeah. I think it's pretty clear that the, the appetite is there, but this is where I want you to make the pitch. So part of the reason that you, Again, you're where you're at because you've worked incredibly hard. But I think the reason that you've your work has resonated with a lot of people is that because you are basically the proxy, the stand in for the fans in terms of voicing how they feel about things on the state of the team, the roster, the front office, all of those types of things. So I want to do a. it's not really a role playing thing here, but you and I are sitting down. I'm Chris Illich. You and I are having lunch together at wherever. Pick pick your spot. Yep. And you have a one-on-one with me. I'm Chris Illich here. I want to hear your pitch on why now is the time for us to co- to go all in and spend some money on this baseball team. Well, I mean, from an emotional standpoint, reason number one is it's been too long. I, I mean, really, for a big market team to go five consecutive years without a single uh, big free agent signing is is staggering. But two, I mean, I think it speaks to what this team has shown you. Um I'm under the belief and teams like the Padres and, and some other, you know, recent uh, rebuilding teams, the Cubs were like this as well uh, under Theo Epstein. Uh, I'm under the belief that you spend before you get good. Now I will give them credit uh, in hindsight for the off season that they had last year uh, when they weren't good and they got Grossman and they re-signed scope. Um, I chalk some of that up to luck because I was big on them signing a catcher. They didn't. Uh, well, they signed Ramos. I was big on them getting Ria Muto. They didn't. Ross and uh, or Haas and Rogers actually turned out to be good. So, I mean, I don't think they expected that. But, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll give them credit for it. To me, it's what this current team has shown you. I, I mean, and I said it in my postgame on Sunday. I said, look, imagine what this coaching staff, a coaching staff that has, uh, in my opinion, if not a top, the best manager in baseball, a top three manager, uh, a pitching coach that a lot that was highly sought after who's doing a great job, a hitting coach that took what was in the month of April, one of the, and this isn't an exaggeration, one of the worst offenses ever and has taken them to league average, you know, level um, to me that like you look at that and you say, okay, you can build off of that, but you've seen Ascension by Badu and Haas. And look, maybe those guys won't stay. Maybe those guys, uh, maybe it was a fluke, but I, I can't imagine that Mize is a fluke. I can't imagine that Scooball is a fluke through it all. I mean, as the biggest uh, albatross, the biggest problem that, has plagued this organization for three decades has been the fa- their inability to build a bullpen. Well, guess what? With Funkhauser and Falmer and Cisnero and Soto in the back end all of a sudden, and I'm not saying they're going to be the 2015 Royals, you've kind of built something there. So whether it be on accident or not, pieces have fallen into place. And I don't care how good your farm system is. I don't care how well you draft. I don't care how well you scout. There has never been a baseball team that has won a World Series with 26 homegrown players. Even teams, small market teams, even the Royals in 2015 went out and spent 
on uh, Edinson Volquez. They went out and got Kendrick Morales. And at the deadline, they brought in Cueto and they brought in Zobrist. Um, at a certain point, no matter how good you do, how good a job you do of developing your talent, um, you got to spend. And, and to me, it's time. It lines up well. The positions uh, that they need, shortstop mainly, those guys are out there. It's not like it's some weak free agent class for, for certain positions. It lines up well for you to spend. And the, the final argument I would make is that you're pushing up on a point in which uh, people will stop caring if you don't spend. I think the fan base in general has been really patient. I think that you go in, and to me, a prime example of this is look at the Detroit Pistons, where the Pistons were from 03 to 08, like must watch TV. And then they, they made the Iverson deal and they kind of fell apart and the fans waited and they waited. Okay, what are they going to do? We'll give them some time. They won a world championship in 04. Let's see what happens. And Tom Gorris and company went 10 plus years. And it wasn't until Cade Cunningham when people started caring again. And that was about a 10 year stretch of irrelevance. They're approaching that point where if they don't spend, um, there's going to be a generation of people who just aren't going to care about the Tigers that much anymore. And not people like me. I mean, I'm going to be their opening day every year, but I'm talking about the fringe fans. Those are the people you got to appeal to. And if you don't, uh, if you don't make the moves this year, uh, then the franchise itself won't be financially viable anymore. And I think that if, if you look at this from a business perspective, I think that's probably what Chris Illich cares about at this point. So um, you got to spend just so you can stay in the black as an organization, I feel like. Okay. And this is me still being uh, Chris Illich. Counterpoint. Fuck you. No, I'm just that's, kidding. Hey, have at it. <laughs> you're, you're, no. he's, he'll receive a lot of fuck yous if he doesn't spend. I mean, that's what yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, it's here, here's the thing. And, and what goes overlooked is the fact that his dad was in the same position for a long time. I mean, people remember because of what he did with the Red Wings, Mike Illich is being this, this unbelievable owner, cared about the fans, cared about the city, spent a bunch of money. And, and he ultimately did. He owned the Tigers for a long time before Pudge Rodriguez got here. I mean, he was the owner during those those horrible periods in the 90s. He was the owner during 2003. Now, for whatever reason, that rock bottom season in 03, something just clicked inside where he went, okay, you know what? I got the money. We're bringing in Dombrowski. We can't, this shit can't last anymore. I do think the, the, bringing in of Dave Dombrowski kind of changed all that. Cause you don't bring in somebody like that unless you're going to spend money. Um, it could be the same way with Chris Illich. I, I do believe that he'll be a little bit more thrifty than, than Dombrowski and uh, Mike Illich were. Um, but most people are like, I can't really hold that against them because you know, they might, they're going to go, you know, a million percent over the luxury tax. I, I think that uh, they, they have the ability to bring in the guys that they want to bring in. Um, and field a team that year in and year out is competitive. I think the days of tanking at this point should be over. Yeah, I would agree with that. And something else that I think, and this is where I can't even believe I'm saying this, where I give Al Avila credit is that it does seem like there is a, a not an, an edict isn't the right word, but it is kind of a, they're going to spend, they're going to spend some amount of money. But I do think they're they plan on doing it, quote unquote, the right way in that, you know, when they take a guy like Jackson Job, they say, well, yeah, a bat may have felt filled more of an immediate need, but we want to have a good farm system longer than when these guys just come up. So I think that there's to me, I get a vibe of they they think they can kind of hybrid it and do it both ways. And that's what the best that's what the Cardinals do. That's what pick a lot of those kind of, um, you know, middle tier uh, market teams. But. The Tigers could spend $80 million in payroll this year and still not have a top 10 payroll in all of baseball. So 
this leads us to the exercise that I ultimately brought you here for in that we're going to spend a little bit of Chris Illich's money. Um, his, his middle finger to us has been denied. He has to spend money. We're probably not going to spend 80 million here. I think each of these scenarios, and I have five of them here, looks like I spent about $60 million. But I think, I, I think there's something here. Now, it comes with the caveats of the following. Again, I have five scenarios here. One, we're assuming that Riley Green and, and Spencer Torkelson will be a pretty big part of the team next year and will be in the line, of, if not on opening day, pretty early on in the spring. Two, there's a couple scenarios where I had to stretch a little bit Guys that have player options or whatever, we're just going to assume they opt out for the for the for the exercise. Uh, the other thing, all five scenarios include Justin Verlander because I feel like that's more likely to happen than not. Dude, he I, I just got to throw it out there. He's alluding to it at this point. He said like they were when Miggy hit 500 today and they were playing the video tributes. Verlander ended it with a uh, thanks, congratulations, Miggy. I'll see you soon. Like all, he basically winked and nodded to like the into yeah. to the fan base. I, I would say it's almost set in stone that that's yeah. going to happen on a one-year deal. It's yeah. a lot. To me, I get obviously different sports, and, and one guy's a front office guy, but it feels a lot like the Steve Eiserman thing where mm-hmm. the, the seeds kind of feel like they've been planted for that for a while. So yeah. I'd be pretty surprised if it didn't happen. One-year deal, two-year deal, whatever it is. I'm just going to – this is probably the high end, but I know he's coming off Tommy John. For the purposes of this exercise, I'm penciling him in for like $15 million. Yeah, it's um, probably a little high, but it's fine. I mean, hometown discount. They got the money, so I mean, whatever. You know. All right, so Justin Verlander is in all five scenarios. A reliever, whether it be – I have 5 to $8 million earmarked for a, a reliever or two. That seems like pretty reasonable. Whether You can insert name here because whoever they sign, I'm going to trust that Chris Fetter is going to get that guy to yeah. do his job. He so had, he had Drew Hutchinson pitching good baseball today, so I think I, 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 have, I, have, a, I have good vibes off of him. Yes, absolutely. Uh, every scenario also includes a term that you've kind of popularized, a fear bat, someone who is going to be someone that comes up and the, the starting pitcher or whoever's on the mound for the other team kind of shits their pants a little bit that he's in the batter's box. And then a second guy who I think I can't say you would hate, but not all of these. There's pros, cons to every one of these scenarios. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ready to do it, we'll just run through it here. And also, I didn't order these in any particular order. We're just throwing them out there. So we ready for this? Yeah. All right. Scenario A, got Justin Verlander. Again, aforementioned $15 million a year, 5 to $8 million a year on a reliever. We need to address this hole in the middle of a Tigers infield. Carlos Correa, 25 to $30 million there. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have an issue with that. And then I know that you're not big on this guy because I saw you tweet about it recently. Michael Conforto in the outfield getting about $15 million a year. So scenario A, Verlander, reliever, Correa, Conforto, thoughts? Um, If that happened and we're doing a pass-fail system for the offseason, I'm still viewing it as a pass because you addressed, I mean, three of the four needs. Um, The the thing about Verlander, just to go back to that for a second, the whole idea of signing him for sentimental value doesn't do a whole lot for me. The reason I'm for it is because it makes sense when you look at how the rotations lined up next year. You're going to have Mize, you're going to have Manning, going to have Scooball, knock on wood, pending injuries, of course. Boyd will be there again, pending injury. Uh, you're going to need a fifth starter. I mean, it, you can do a whole lot worse than 38-year-old Justin Verlander. So that's why that makes sense to me. Correa, yes. Uh, reliever arm, dime a dozen. You can find him anywhere, Yes. Uh, I'm not big on Conforto because of what he's done this season. 
Uh, but I also tweeted uh, with the caveat a couple weeks ago that like, I'm not saying he's incapable of bouncing back from a rough year. Um, it's just that I wouldn't personally give him because of what he's done this season, anything beyond a one-year deal. But again, it, they have the money to spend. Like if you, like if you sign Conforto one year, 15 million and he, and he craps the bed. Uh, okay. I mean, this year they signed Nolan Mazzara to a one-year deal and he was the opening day outfielder and now he's off the team. And guess what? Derek Hill's actually been pretty good. And Daz Cameron had a nice moment today and we know what Badu has been capable of doing. So uh, I'm not against it wholly. Is it my favorite uh, scenario? Probably not, but I would still view it as a, as a success based on who else they brought in. Yeah, I, I do think they need an outfielder because if you listen to, and, and we know the television and radio broadcasts are kind of like state media and that a lot of what you hear is being right. pumped out from the front office. Yeah. I'm just not of the belief that Derek Hill, one of Derek Hill or Daz Cameron is, no. has one of these outfield spots locked up. So, no. and, and I'll be honest with you as well. Um, I'm not complete. And I think it'll probably end up being this way. I'm not 100% about Badu being like an everyday outfielder next year. Like right. maybe at the year after sure. But the batted ball data for him is not good. He's had a very good year, but he's had a great year for a rule five pick by this point next year, that sheen is going to wear off and we're just going to yeah. see him as major league ball player, Akil Badu. And the idea of like, like this year it's, it's, the training wheels are still on. It's baby steps. Oh, he's kind of learning to hit lefties. Like it's whatever next year. They're going to expect like real results. Um, I don't know if this guy's in one, one of your scenarios, but in terms of outfielders, I'd be much more keen on Mitch Hanniger than I would um, Michael Conforto. Cause this is a guy career eight twenty OPS has had some injury problems, but they weren't like, like, and this is true. He missed basically almost two full years of, of time with a ruptured testicle that's not exactly like a an ankle that's going to pop back out of place. I mean, that's no. a, that's a literally a repairable injury that you can come back from. So, I mean, you that just says chills through the groins of every single person. Exactly. I mean, so you know he's tough, clearly, and you know, like that's that's a guy I feel like would be a little bit more consistent. Has played at a, at a pitcher's park in Seattle, so you know he knows how to hit uh, at a spacious uh, place like Comerica. So uh, th- that'd be somebody I'd be more keen on. But yeah, I mean, I think outside of Grossman. I can't think of anybody next year where I'm like, all right, everyday outfielder, except for at some point, Riley Green, yeah. I think will, will be there. But even then, he, depending on how they uh, re- renegotiate the CBA, he might not even start opening day here. Right. And if you're telling me that I have Robbie Grossman and either Riley Green or a free agent, and then I just need one of Badu, Cameron, yeah. or Derek Hill to man center field for next year, I'm okay with that. That works. That works, yeah. So. Uh, okay. Uh, spoiler alert. Mitch Hanniger is not in any of these scenarios, but I think we're ready for scenario. Do you have any other thoughts on scenario a, uh, Verlander? No, I, think, I, think I, I think I said what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, scenario B again, Justin Verlander relief pitcher shortstop Trevor story, 25 to 30 million. And again, this is one of those guys coming up next that I kind of stretch the criteria for a bit because he can opt out and he's a familiar face as well. Nick Castellanos. Yeah. Um, I would be less okay with that. Um, look, I, I feel weird complaining about the shortstops because uh, I'll be honest, the only, and maybe we bring him up in one of the other scenarios, the one shortstop that I'm against signing would be bias. Um, and I know there's people who would, who will, will push back against it, but, um, Javi bias has probably the greatest highlight reel of any shortstop in baseball, but the advanced analytics show that he is um, not as productive of a player as people make him out to be. 
story I like quite a bit. There's the one major disadvantage that he has, which is the, the course field um, problem. He has not been nearly as good this year um, as he, as he has been in the past. Uh, the one issue uh, that I feel like you, you run into with him outside of the course stuff, he's, He's been mainly healthy, but I, I do feel like um, playing at a spacious park like America, you could see the OPS drop. Now, with that said, uh, his teammate or former teammate, Nolan Arenado, uh, left, uh, left Colorado and has had a, a wonderful season uh, in St. Louis. I think, he, I think he would be fine here. Castellanos, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit against, but it's more for personal reasons. For one, like... Please elaborate. Well, he keeps going back to the well about the, the Comerica hates, which yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and look, he, 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 those sentiments are reflected by a lot of players, but like if you didn't hit, you know, if you weren't super successful here the first time, you're not going to be successful here the second time. Um, I, this is a thing I like about him, but I think he's a bit petty. I don't think he would want to sign back here ever again. Um, he's had a monster year in Cincinnati, which is not surprising to me. People look at that and they go, Oh my God, why'd we let him go? He's doing exactly what I, I expected. Um, he would do in Cincinnati. So, I mean, I would give that if I had to give it a grade, like a C C minus, because there's just like Correa to me outside of the uh, apparent injury issues, uh, every so often Correa to me is about as slam dunk as it gets. Whereas with story high ceiling, but a much lower floor to me than somebody like Correa. Yeah, and Costi, Costiano's thing, uh, again, it was a hypothetical. It's on paper, but he's not coming here for the same reason Max Scherzer's not coming here. Uh, yeah. It's just not going to happen. So, again, not crazy about that one either, but it's a scenario nonetheless. So, scenario C, again, Justin Verlander, $15 million a year. Reliever, 5 to $8 million a year. Someone you just brought up, it's a great segue, Javier Baez, yeah. $20 to $25 million a year. And in the outfield, we're bringing in Starling Marte at twelve to fifteen million dollars a year. Yeah, okay, well, that that option is way more appealing to me. I, I would even say I almost like that more than option two because I like Marte a lot. I think Marte. I forgot and I forgot about him. I think he's been overlooked through majority of his career because he's played for low market, small market teams, and or just bad teams. I mean, you go from the Pirates to the. Uh, I think he's with the A's now, but you know, with the even that's a small market team, the smallest uh, of markets. Here's the thing about Baez is, and I brought up, look, highlight reel is great. He, there are things I think a player like Javier Baez adds to a baseball team that go beyond just the final box score, or the analytics. But what this team needs is, you know, the fear bat, the power bat, but they need guys who get on base. And there are two unicorns in baseball who uh, wouldn't know a walk if it hit them in the ass, but are productive <laughs> players nonetheless. And for some reason, they both played shortstop in Chicago. One is Javier Baez and the other is Tim Anderson. Uh, Javi Baez in 2018, 2019 was a revelation. I think finished uh, second or third for the MVP in 18, had another all-star year in 19 last year, COVID year. I'll excuse it, but he was, and this is true, the least productive offensive player in baseball in 2020 this year. He has not been, he's been better, not that much better. I think he would add something to the team, but I think you look at the makeup of the offense. Um, you don't the really the best on base guy that you have, uh, is Robbie Grossman right now. And I like Grossman a lot. He's had a wonderful year, but that's another unicorn where for some reason, Robbie Grossman, low average can hit for power. But for some reason you look at like the top five walk, you know, guys who have drawn walks in baseball, it's like Gallo judge Freeman and him. It's a weird, like random thing in ba in baseball that you see every so often he draws a lot of walks. But besides that, 
Um, you need guys who get on base and um, Javier Baez for all his, you know, everything he's accomplished. And he is a, he is a good player um, does not get on base. And I think the idea of you look at the, let's say you sign Baez, your infield is made up of Jamer. Who's a solid third, you know, third baseman. Who's had a very good year. You have a shortstop in Javier Baez. Okay. Hitter doesn't get on base. You kind of have the same problem with Jonathan scope, who I like a lot, but like, Jonathan Scope, considering his average and his power, should have an OPS way higher than 790. And again, good player. I'm happy they re-signed him. And then at first, you have Miguel Cabrera, who, despite the accomplishments, is, in terms of wins above replacement, one of the five least valuable players in baseball right now. So all of a sudden, you're looking at at an infield that is a suspect at best. I like Marte because he's a good defender and he can hit for power. But uh, I would say, again, that would be like a CC minus to me. I, I think that there would be a lot of fans kind of upset Um if that was the, the final kind of, you know, moves they made in the off season. Okay. Well, uh, those are scenario a scenario B scenario C. I've got two more left for you. Okay. Uh, again, let's go scenario D saying it again, Justin Verlander relief pitcher, someone who, and this next guy would probably be, he's probably number one on my board though. I think might be, I won't say the least realistic, but I, I don't I think know. I know who you're talking about. But it's Corey Seager, yeah. $30 million a year. Uh, yeah. I think he's probably staying out West. And I think that the Dodgers can probably afford to bring him back if they want to. So, but he's on the, on the list regardless. And this is another guy where I kind of had to stretch. Um, you know, I'm going to change it. Uh, I had, I had obviously Garcia there, uh, but he has a club option for next year with the Brewers. I assume they'll pick that up and he'll be back. Let's just throw Mitch Hanniger in there. Okay. Um, and I think this would, cause we've gone through a couple of these scenarios where you're like C, C minus. This is like the Chris Castellani scenario. So Verlander, reliever, Seeger, Mitch Hanniger. Um, that would be an A to A plus for me, uh, that, or maybe an A minus to an A. You know, you're splitting hairs at that point because, yeah, and I, I agree with you because it's not even the Dodger factor, but I think the reason the Dodgers traded for Trey Turner was so they could let Corey Seeger walk. And where I think he'll go, because not only, not only has he, but his brother have played on the West coast their entire careers. Um, I think he might go from one LA team to another. And I hate this because all this team does is waste talent, but <laughs> I, I would imagine the angels might make a serious run at, at Corey Seager. Um, I think he'll want to stay on the West coast. Now I think really of the, the five shortstops that are, I guess four now that Lindor has gone four shortstops that are available. I think the best overall hitter when completely healthy is Corey Seager. I mean, you saw what he did again, COVID year, but you saw what he did in the postseason last year. He was unbelievable uh, for the Dodgers. Good defender, not an amazing defender, but you know what? This team, this team needs hitters at this point. That would be maybe the ideal situation. I there is something to be said about like the swagger that Carlos Correa brings and like the kind of impact. I think he wants to be the guy uh, in an organization, but again, kind of splitting hairs. I would, um, I would be ecstatic with with, with an offseason like that. Uh, quite frankly, yeah. Cool. Yeah, works for me too. I, I don't hate any of these, but that's probably the best. Yeah combination that's the thing it feels weird i feel like the 16 year old who's like complaining that they got a ferrari instead of a lamborghini like i would take (laughs) anyone i would take any one of these shortstops in a heartbeat right like you plug any one of these guys in they'd probably be the best hitter in the lineup but when you have options you got to rank those options yeah well too it's like you're you're telling me you can guarantee me and this might even be on the low end for what people are hoping but if you're telling me they're going to spend 60 million dollars this offseason we're we're cool i I don't know Yeah, unless they totally shoot their wad on guys that can't play and they have to overpay, uh, which they've done, which they've done before. Well, you know, that's I I don't think Zimmerman's walking through the door anymore. You know, it's a different era. 
Well, that's the one thing that would worry me is, you know, we're talking about these one-year deals with like a Verlander or the earlier scenario where Conforto might get a one-year deal. Al has whiffed on a lot of those. Now there's a couple he's hit on, but you know, I don't know. That's, that would be the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause, but this brings us to scenario E. Uh, So again, Justin Verlander, 15 million relief pitcher, 5 million to $8 million. And stretching it a little bit here, but still listed as a shortstop in a couple places. Marcus Semyon, fifteen yeah. to twenty million dollars a year. Wouldn't personally, I'll editorialize here. I'm not super crazy about that, but we're gonna stick a fear bat with him too, and someone who can kind of move around, someone who might be the best pure bat on the market, someone who could play outfield, he could play third base, he could play first base. And that's Chris Bryant at twenty to twenty five million dollars a year. Scenario E thoughts. Um. Highest floor, lowest ceiling. Or I'm sorry, lowest floor, highest ceiling. Because uh, I, I, I feel like, look, Marcus Semien has now seen in two of the last three years has been one of the highest war players in the entire sport. So now, again, I don't know why. For some reason, I just don't think that's sustainable. I don't know why. I, I just, because he's been really good. Um, Bryant, I would love. I mean, that would be, I, I think Chris Bryant, um, with the injuries that he's had, uh, I'm not going to say he's underachieved because he's won an MVP in a World Series and he's made three, four all-star teams. But I feel like he's still very much in the prime of his career. That's kind of what I worry about with somebody like Simeon is I feel like he's having his best year right now and had his best year years in 19 and wouldn't really match that. Um, it would be fun. I mean, it would, it would be, I'd be fine with it. I'm not, it would probably be if I had to rank him, maybe the second or third favorite option because I, I think at shortstop, especially you got to get a guy who's like really sound on both, you know, both ends of the spectrum there. And, and Simeon's been very good, both offensively and defensively, but you need a consistent guy. And, you know, he's had two great years, um, but I, I prefer, you know, a, 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 a Seager or a story uh, or a Correa in that spot. Now, one thing that is kind of an X factor here, and I don't know why, but I just, I think Chris Bryant, may want to stay closer to the West coast. He's from Las Vegas. I don't know. That's just a theory. But one thing that kind of makes this the in X factor, AJ Hinch loves versatility. He loves guys. who can play multiple positions. Um, there was a reason why they played Eric Haas in left field in spring training. When people like me thought he was crazy and look at what Haas has done. You know, they, they've played Miggy at first. They played scope at first. They they've moved and not so much this year, but Jamer last year was at first and third. You know, you have guys like Harold Castro can play multiple positions. Um, I think a player like a Chris Bryant could be a match made in heaven uh, for an AJ Hinch managed team because on any given day, like you said, he can play a lot of positions. Um, but I also think that there is a bit of an injury history there. Uh, he has never played at a, at a park of at least for a full season. That's as spacious uh, as Comerica. And I do think that does make a difference, at least in the first year uh, of a deal. Um Look, again, I wouldn't turn it down. I'd be happy with it. Would it be my first option? No. So I'd give it like a B, B minus kind of offseason. Maybe even like even pushing up on a B plus because there are some really good players there. I just don't know how sustainable it would be. Yeah. Uh, So those those are kind of the five scenarios. I'll run through them again real quick. Again, I'm not going to. Every scenario has Verlander and a reliever that sucks up about 20 to 30 million dollars of payroll. Uh, Scenario A, Carlos Correa, Michael Conforto. Scenario B. Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos. Scenario C, Javier Baez, Starling Marte. Scenario D, uh, Corey Seager slash uh, Avisail Garcia slash Mitch Hanniger, whoever, uh, if you could make that work. 
And then scenario E, Marcus Simeon and Chris Bryant. So is there any, when I'm looking at the free agents here for the 2021, 2022 class, guys that we didn't really talk about here, uh, shortstop wise, Andrelton Simmons, I would hate that. No, Jose Iglesias, no. I saw that during the Angels series. I saw some buzz about that. I don't care how good his defensive highlights are. Like, I'm not really exaggerating that much. The difference between him and Nico Goodrum offensively is not that, like, it's not that far apart. So, no. Other guys, uh, outfielders, Charlie Blackman has a player option. Jackie Bradley Jr. has an opt-out. Mark Canna uh, is a guy on the market. Who I wouldn't hate. He can hit. Yeah. No. Corey Dickerson, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, McCutcheon has a club option. Tommy Pham, Gregory Polanco, Eddie Rosario, Kyle Schwarber. Well, Any of those guys stick out as someone you, you wouldn't mind seeing here? The one who stands out to me just offensively is Schwarber. Mm-hmm. It, but this is the problem that this team's going to run into for another two years. Is like, And I, I think as well, I think J.D. Martinez has an opt-out as well. I could be wrong. But here's, he the, problem that, here's the problem they're going to run into is that your DH spot slash first base spot is going to be plugged with Miguel Cabrera for another two years. And look, seeing the chase to 3000 is going to be a lot of fun. Seeing the chase to 500 has been fun, but baseball's a business and you got to look at it from a business standpoint. I would love to sign JD Martinez. JD Martinez is going to want to be a DH and he should, I have no problem with that. Uh, I would, you know, I, I don't think he'd want to play here, but somebody like Nick Castellanos, I think it would be relatively the same way though. He has played the field in Cincinnati and has been really, really good uh, at least offensively. Um, you are going to run into that issue where there's going to be those guys like a Schwarber who I would love to have as a DH, but the issue you run into is then you got to put Miggy at first base. And while Miggy is probably the best defensive first baseman on this team, um, we know about the injury history. We know he's fragile at this point. Um, it's, you know, you, you kind of run into an issue there. So the one that stands out, cause I think in general, like there is uh, more made about like, defensive prowess then is let on about certain positions like shortstop. Yes. You want a good defensive shortstop third base. Yes. But like Robbie Grossman is, does not grade out to be a good defender. I can't think of any moment this year in which I went, Oh my God, I can't believe all those runs. Robbie Grossman's cost us in right field. Cause it's not a premium defensive position um, with somebody like Schwarber. You could put him in left. Um, and I'd be okay with that. I just don't know if the organization would be okay with that, but that's, and Polanco is uh, Gregory Polanco as well as another one who's, you know, he's good years defensively uh, in Pittsburgh. I wouldn't be completely against, but um, it just goes to show, like, I think that a lot of people rightfully so have circled in and honed in on the, the idea of signing, you know, a premium shortstop and they should, you know, to expect anything less would be, would be wrong at this point, but there's a lot of cheap options out there um, that uh, I think could make this team a heck of a lot better as early as next season. And you listed off quite a few of them. I want to talk real quick about guys that will be free agents, not this coming off season, but next off season, mm-hmm. uh, specifically at positions of need. Uh, because we, I mean, I think you make a great point about those first base slash DH type of guys. I think all that really does is create a log jam uh, for when it's time for torque to be here. And, yeah. and someone is going to get the, the shaft there. Maybe, maybe it's Jamer who kind of, maybe he falls off and isn't, I think he's kind of proven he's an everyday guy at this point. But. I, well, yeah, I, I think the, the one issue you have with Jammer is between him and Torque, you have a first baseman and a third baseman. It's just where do you put them? Yeah. I have, and look, I don't know how great Torkelson is at third. I have an idea, but I'm, 
I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has proved that, like, you can be drafted as a first baseman, play first base, and be totally fine. Like, I understand the value in getting the most out of a premium defensive position, but if Torkelson plays his entire career at first, I'm not going to be mad. I think it's pretty telling that he's playing first in AAA right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so guys that are coming up in 2022, uh, Tim, Hander, Tim Anderson has a club auction. D.D. Uh, Gregorius, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson. Those are a couple notable guys there. Outfielders, because I kind of think if they're really going to dip into the outfield market and, and spend a decent amount of money, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be next offseason. I kind of think so, too. Because by uh, then, Grossman will be off the books. I think that's kind of when they'll make their big push, yeah. And you're going to know what Padu is. You're going to, yeah. Right. So that makes sense to me. Again, we're playing the game where we kind of try to, you know, we want to make a run next year and all that type of stuff. Right. But I do think there's... They'll spend, but they're not going to lock, you know, lock themselves into a window, so to speak. It takes time. I mean, it doesn't happen in one offseason, you know, so yeah. I mean, it, it'll it'll be a process here. Well, that's what's so frustrating that they didn't just throw a little bit of money. During, I mean, this has been ground that's well plowed at this point. They, they would be in the wild card race right now if they just spent eight million dollars on a position player somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's neither here nor there. That's the bed they're, they made for themselves. Um, Andrew Benintendi will be a free agent. Charlie Blackman has a player option, Byron Buxton, Lorenzo Kane, Adam Duvall, Joey Gallo, Aaron Judge. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, those, I those, last, those last two are appealing. I like those last yeah, two. No kidding. Um, I mean, even though Whit Merrifield has a club option, Brandon Nimmo, AJ Pollock, Justin Upton. I mean, it's a pretty long – like, I feel a lot – I feel the same way about next year's outfield class that we kind of feel about this year's shortstop class and that, hey, take your pick. Get someone. You're going to get an impact somewhere there. So I'm, I'm not – if they don't, uh, let's say you sign Conforto to a one-year deal and he sucks. Well, guess what? You can dip right back, in, back into that market next year. So yeah, um, I kind of like the – one more thing, I guess, when we go back to this year. I mean, relievers on the market uh, this offseason, Archie Bradley, uh, Familia, Brad Hand, Rossiel Iglesias, Kenley Jansen, Adam, a- Andrew Miller, Adam Adovino, Trevor Rosenthal, Kirby Yates. Any of those uh, tickle your fancy? Um. I won't say this as, as a singular option, but as a give them a, almost a, a minor league deal, see if he can rebuild his Kirby Yates. Cause like mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, he was the best closer in baseball. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of them do out of Vena, out of Vino um, Jensen. No. Cause I feel like he is really like uh, kind of, uh, you know, exiting his prime. You could make, make the argument. He's already out of his prime. Uh, same with Andrew Miller. Same with uh, uh, there was another one that you named that, that, but Rysel Iglesias has had a good year. Um, a uh, Brad hand was the other one. I, I wouldn't be crazy about, uh, Archie Bradley. I'd like quite a bit. Um, now the Phillies with Dombrowski there, and he's been far and away their best reliever makes me think they'll, they'll find a way to resign him. But I think one thing about this bullpen, especially the back end of it, that is more appealing than a lot of other, uh, years and a lot of other teams is that you have multiple guys who can pitch multiple innings. I mean, Falmer comes from a, a starting background. Funkhauser has pitched multiple innings or, you know, an inning and two thirds at some point, you know, a lot of points this year, Gregory Soto in a three game series, just pitched two innings twice. Um, you know, he's, he's capable of doing that as wild as he is. Um, he, he was a starter uh, at one point and even Cisnero I've seen pitch uh, multiple innings at, at points this year. So I think a guy like an Archie Bradley, who, um, who has pitched multiple innings for the diamondbacks and has done it for the Phillies. I think it'd be a really appealing option for AJ Hinch. And, and as much as I'm excited about the future of the rotation here with Mize Manning and Scooball, the game of baseball is different than it's ever been. I mean, you get 
even on a good night, you're asking usually for three innings out of your pen. And on, on the night where it lines up where you can use Cisnero and Fulmer and Soto, hey, great. But there's going to be those nights where guys are going to get blown up and you're going to need multiple innings. And the days of let's throw out a briefcase Joe. I know he pitched well today, but you know what I mean? I mean, you see stinks. The days of uh, let's throw Brian Garcia out there. You know, that's got to. That's got to be over. You know, you got to be relying on guys who are putting up sub three, five ERAs or else uh, you're not going to win. Like, I still do believe that for the most part, championships are won with starting pitching, but championships are lost with bad bullpens. We've learned that the hard way many times. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I I think uh, to make a move for somebody like that, even a multi-year deal, solidify the pen. Um, make it legitimate because, you know, one of these guys will probably get injured or fall off a little bit next year. Some of the advanced numbers on some of these guys are not as pretty as we'd like them to be. So um, I think that'll be that'll be important to get some solid middle or late relief guy uh, who you can rely on on nights where um, starting pitcher doesn't have. it. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. So Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, they're in AAA. They're going to be on this team next yeah. year. I want you. It, this doesn't even have to be based on anything. But I want you to call your shot. And I guess if you want to throw Dylan Dingler in, in that mix, well, like that's fine too. But I want you to call your shot here. A prospect uh, in the Tigers organization that I you think might come up next year and make some kind of impact that isn't one of the super prospects. Uh, Joey Wentz. I, I think that uh, Joey Wentz acquired in the Shane Green deal um, under different circumstances. Because it is fair to say that as – mediocre as this baseball team is four of their six opening day starting pitchers are not on the roster right now, whether because of injuries and had, um, if not for Tommy John, Joey Wentz would have been, um, would probably be here right now. He was acquired in the Shane green deal was kind of the the centerpiece of that deal. Good stuff. Um, I think at some point he'll start games next year. Hopefully people stay healthy, but he's the one where, you know, when you get Tommy John, you kind of become damaged goods. And in some cases, that makes sense. Like, I think that a lot of people are kind of down on Alex Fiedo because of he had mechanical issues. Then he had Tommy John. Now he's battling back from it. But for the most part, sadly, it shouldn't be this way. Tommy John has become a rite of passage for a lot of pitchers. I mean, Scooball's had it. Fulmer's had it twice. Uh, Verlander's now had it. I mean, a lot of great pitchers have gone through it. You don't want to see it. But um, I still believe that he'll be a solid pitcher in this organization at some point. I don't know if it'll be as a starter. I don't know if it'll be as as a reliever, but uh, the he's looked good in the minor leagues. His stuff is sharp, and um, based on what they've gotten out of their pitchers this year, um, I have I have full belief that the powers that be in the dugout are going to do a good job with whoever gets called up. So he's one that kind of stands out to me as maybe one that's been a little bit overlooked because of the injuries, but uh, you know I still believe in him. All right, well, it's Chris Castellani, Barstool Sports. Former Mason Brewer, former, well, I almost said former friend. That would have been weird. Uh, we're still, still, a very we're, good we're still on good terms. We're still good. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, Chris, I think we fixed the Tigers today. I don't know. Let's hope so. Say. Let's hope they listen. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they're they're going to spend money. I, I'm very confident of that. Uh, it's got to be probably, I think, I think we probably set the bar a little too low. 60 million isn't that big of a commitment. Yeah, I'm trying to meet, I'm trying to meet them halfway here. But. Uh, it's fine. I, th- I think, I think these were reasonable pitches for them. I don't think we're asking for, you know, it, if you start going, okay, well, I want Chris Bryant. I want Corey Seager. I want Justin Verlander. And I want, you know, insert another guy that's going to make 15. Like that's probably I think asking a little bit too much. And I think that's pretty, 
I think this rebuild isn't just going to be, okay, we're all in. I think it's going to be kind of a dimmer switch thing. So yeah. But yeah, no, it'll take time. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming on, you know, uh, you know how I feel about you and I think this is a good conversation and I'm really, I, I'm, I'm super pumped. I mean, it's, I'm as interested in this baseball team. I mean, I'm as interested in a baseball team that is six games under 500 yeah. and it'll probably be like, let's call a spade a spade. Probably 12 to 13 games under 500. I would say there'll be about a 75 win team. Yeah. Which would put them at 87 losses. Um, It it is, it is fair to say that they are far more interesting at this point in the year than I expected them to be. I mean, I, cause I thought preseason they would sell the deadline trade, trade away all their good guys and tank. Um, They haven't done that. And it's made for more. I mean, we're almost into September and I'm, I still care. So that's, that's a good sign. (laughs) That's right. Right in time for usually the last couple of years of tiger baseball, you're like, God, just get us to September. Then football season starts, but yeah. we're Michigan fans and lions fans. So now it's kind of like right. oh, baseball, just, just play. Can you play till December? Yeah. Not too much to ask, but exactly. Um, well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate your time and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. All right. And thanks again to Chris Castellani. Good friend of mine. He's going to be a, a good ally of the show and, and looking forward to having him on again at some point in the future. I want to move on to my final thought for the day now. And, and something I'll say as I go on a quick little tangent here. This show is in the very early stages of being of ultimately what I hope it will be. I'm aware that the logo looks a little Microsoft clip arty right now. If there's someone out there who has the graphic design ability to make something better for me, reach out. I'd love to hear it. I, that's not... That's not my forte. I'm always open and transparent when I can't do something. And that's something I'm not very good at. So stuff like that, I'll need an, a musical bed or intro. I'll, I'll figure that stuff out. It's going to take some time, especially given that this is a side project and I have a full-time job. And there's we're returning to normalcy this football season with in terms of Maze and Brew stuff. So I'm going to be pretty tied up there as well. But... Again, this for this to be a weekly release, a, a weekly chat about the teams I like aside from work and those types of things. It's going to take some time. So I appreciate the patience. I appreciate, and I want this to be a community kind of thing too. So if you have feedback, I, I'd love to hear it. And we'll see how big we can grow this thing and make it to what we want it to be. But I want to get to my final thoughts today. And at this point, this is almost old news because that's how quickly the news cycle moves. This Jalen Green stuff, the Jalen Green versus Cade Cunningham beef, whatever you want to call it. Jalen Green wanted to be the number one pick in the draft. And there was a lot of buzz that there might be a chance that could happen. But throughout the draft process, I never saw anyone seriously say Jalen Green is a better prospect or a better fit for the Pistons at number one than Cade Cunningham is. But Jalen Green has, has, I won't say gone scorched earth. I thought that when they played in the summer league game, the Pistons and the Rockets, I thought Cade Cunningham was the better player. I thought he played better. The score, the box score was what it was. I mean, Jalen Green, I'm not too worried about him coming out of the gates a lot stronger because he just played pro basketball for a year, right? He was in the G League. He's played in this type of format, played a similar level of competition in the G League. So I'm not too worried about... I'm not worried at all. There's nothing... I think I tweeted this out. Jalen Green could have dunked on Cade Cunningham and then put put him on a poster, teabagged him, whatever you want to call it. And it still would not have made a difference to me at all. 
at all. But when you see the comments from Jalen Green saying, uh, you know, I didn't really want to go to Detroit anyways. There's nothing to do there. It just kind of, to me, solidifies why the Pistons got it right with that pick. I know that Jalen Green had a tremendous workout, and he's probably going to be a guy who scores 25 to 30 points a game at the next level and whatever. And even, even if that happens, and Cade Cunningham is just a, you know, 18 points a game, six rebounds, and three assists a night guy. This will still have been the right pick for the Detroit Pistons because one, Cade Cunningham is a player who elevates what's around him. He took a dog-ass Oklahoma State team to the NCAA tournament. Assist numbers were low because honestly, if you kicked out to someone, they couldn't shoot to save their lives. And there were a couple summer league games where you saw that with the Pistons too. He elevates, and I made this comparison. I can't remember if it was in the newsletter or what it was. And I'm not making this directly in terms of talent and outlook, but there is a little bit of LeBron James in his game in that he will drag you to the finish line, no matter what's on the roster around him. Now, I think what Troy Weaver's building with the Pistons is pretty darn good. But there will never be a scenario where I won't defend the hell out of this pick for Detroit because not only is he a guy who elevates what's around him one he's just mature wise beyond his years he fits the culture of the city he embraces the city Jalen Green saying oh Detroit's like a you pretty much show up and play basketball like that's just from someone who's never really been maybe that's what his visit was like but this isn't Detroit of 15 years ago where you go down to Comerica Park or Ford Field you go to the game and you leave. There's plenty of stuff. to. I mean, this is a... We, we poke fun at District Detroit and how those things haven't progressed as much as we'd like them to. But this is a pretty great area with good, hardworking people that are passionate. And I think I think what makes this area so great is the people. We, we, we ride or die with these teams. The fact that this podcast exists is evidence of that. And Jalen Green, public enemy number one... I don't, it's just a super immature thing. And he's 19. He's basically still, he's a young man. I'm not going to firebomb the guy, but let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade here. Jalen, the team that drafted Jalen Green spent weeks, weeks trying to swap picks with the Pistons to get Cade Cunningham. There's not a scenario where the Rockets preferred Jalen Green to Cade Cunningham. And they could say what they want now that he's, he was the pick. So I understand the saltiness of this, this young man, this young player. And I, I'm tired, quite frankly, I'm tired of the talk. I'm glad that it was cool to see them play in Summer League, even though it didn't matter. Uh, the Pistons will be a better basketball team than the Rockets this year. And they will play, I believe, December 18th. It's a matinee game at Little Caesars Arena. And actually, I think, I believe the first game between the two teams in Houston is on my birthday. So, November 10th. So, get your, don't steal my identity, please. I mean, send me a card, but don't steal anything from me. I'm I'm, I'm on a blogger salary, okay? There's nothing for you to take of value. 
So I, I, I'm at the point. I'm the type of guy. I don't like the talk. Like the talk is juicy. It gets us talking. It gets social media fired up. But I, I want to settle things on the field. Settle things on the court. So, Jalen Green, you are an enemy of the state. You are an enemy of the city of Detroit. And we will be booing the hell out of you when you come to town, despite the fact that you cannot even legally, I say legally, drink a beer yet. So Jalen Green, public enemy number one, you are on the you are the first official curse list of this podcast. There you go. Jalen Green, cursed. Well, I don't know if you guys could hear it in my voice or not, but I was pretty nervous about this. But that's gonna do it for our first show. I've never really I haven't done a ton of solo shows in my life. So the fact that I'm kind of jumping headfirst into that is, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's pretty scary. Pretty scary to think about. So maybe eventually there's going to be someone who sits across from me in person or virtually, whatever it is. But for now, I'm going to keep giving this a shot. And I never really explained the origins of the name. I, I did in the teaser. Five-game sweep, it's a reference to the Pistons, kind of their gentleman's sweep of the Los Angeles Lakers in 2004. Also, it's a very bad attempt at a pun of my last name. Broom, sweep, get it? Haha, <laughs> it's hilarious. Cool. So, that's going to do it for me this week. Again, I'm just glad to get this first one done and over with. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I thought the, the conversation with Chris was awesome. He will be back at some point. Don't know who we'll have lined up for next week yet. Again, we're looking at probably a Lion-centric show unless something crazy happens. Which, again, news moves quickly in this world, so... But other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow the podcast at Five Game Sweep on Twitter. Again, we are on Apple, Google, Spotify. Uh, the newsletter will be linked to this. We have a Discord server. All the links to all of this stuff will be in the description below, wherever you're listening to this show. So, again, I appreciate your guys' time. This will get better. I was I just came off of two weeks, or more or less maybe 10 days of travel and other stuff going on. And I wanted to give myself a little bit of time. I know the teaser dropped, I believe, on August 9th, 8th or 9th. So I gave myself two weeks. This this will get better moving forward. So any feedback you have, anything anything you'd like to, if you have questions for the show, you can tweet me, email me, send me a letter via Carrier Pigeon. Carrier Pigeon. Sound like an accent. What was that all about? Uh, so whatever it is you'd like to do to connect with the show, I'm here for it. So... We'll see you around. Hopefully we start seeing you guys in person, Delta variant or not, at games and stuff starting this fall with Michigan, with Lions. Um, I'll be at quite a few Pistons games this year. So that's kind of the plan. That's enough rambling for me. Again, please rate, leave a five-star review. Help me get those ratings. Help, help, help me move up. Help, just help stroke my ego. Help me think. Help me realize that I am... Maybe doing something that might have some staying power here. Uh, the plan right now is to do a show a week. Again, football season could get a little nutty, but we know we're going to at least have a lot to talk about with the Lions week in and week out. So that's going to do it for me. That's enough rambling. Again, I've been Anthony Broom. This has been Five Game Sweep, and we'll talk to you next time.